number seven and verse number five. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not? And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? My, what a question. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. I want to speak for a few moments this morning on the den of robbers, the den of robbers. Lord, we thank you and praise you and ask that your word would be a strength to us this morning. We thank you for touch of God that is in this place and pray that you would help us absorb your anointing and your ability. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. pretty weighty passage of scripture this morning that comes from the prophet Jeremiah speaking on behalf of the Lord about standing in the house, standing in the house and standing. Uh, thank you, Brother Sumo, for doing that. Let's give Brother Sumo a hand for man, being cognizant of who's coming in, who's coming out, directing them to the right place. Thank you for people this morning that were willing to pray. Everybody is a participator, yes? I've said this often. In a moment like that just happened, you should be, if you're a saint of God, you should be praying. Move out where you are, find somebody. Even if they don't want to be prayed for, pray for them. I'm just kidding. Better be careful if they don't want to be prayed for. Remember the gal that came, and she was up here. I didn't know what she was doing, but we were having powerful church, and she was jumping up and down. And I'm not connected to that particular culture, so I didn't know. But some of you have been, you've been called out, and such were some of you, right? And so one of you, I won't name who it is, came and said, that gal's trying to cast a spell on this church. She's, she's doing magic. I thought she was just jumping up and down. And so Bishop went over to pray for her, and she took a swipe at him and caught the corner of his glasses, and his glasses went flying. Anybody remember that? That was quite a revival. Yes, it was. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Be involved. Be engaged. In this passage of Scripture, God is speaking to the children of Israel about standing in the house. And he gives a list of things that they were doing wrong. They were not executing proper judgment. 
They were oppressing the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. They were, shed, they were shedding innocent blood. They were walking after idolatry. And yet they were coming into the sanctuary. They were coming into the house. They were standing before God in the house, the house that's called by his name. And they were saying, we are delivered to do all these abominations as long as we can stand in the house. And the Lord said, this house has become a den of robbers. Before we can really digest the words that are being spoken in this passage of Scripture, we must, it's absolutely imperative that we examine the importance of the temple in the psyche, in the, in the mind of the Israelites. There are events and there are moments, there could even be monuments, that when viewed or ingested or absorbed, whether we want to desire them or not, they make us who we are. They become part of the fabric of who we are. And we look through those lens. Might have been a car accident. It might have been uh, being involved in war if you've served your country. Uh, it might have been, I know for an older generation, I was not cognizant of this, but some people remember the JFK assassination as something that, that fixated a nation. Uh, we just recently came through 9-11, a memorial time that was based on the Twin Towers that were brought down by jihadis in planes. And that also put a stamp. It changed our entire world. It changed the, everything that we do from traveling to going to the airport, having to go through security and everything that we do because of that. And it's hard to believe it's been that many years ago, but that's something that uh, was indelibly marked even in my life. I'll never forget that particular day getting up in the morning and I was getting ready to come to school here at Bethel Apostolic Academy, had the radio on because there was, uh, it fills the background and news in the morning and, and hearing that whole thing play out. And, and, and I'll never forget that, uh, especially when imagining how many people could have been in those twin towers. Those kind of things are experiences, whether it's on a world level, a national level, or a personal level. They're experiences that paint and color who we are and, and what makes us us. And, and we're going to experience those, some of those things in life. But I would like to ask you this morning, just briefly in introduction here, how has the experience of finding an altar of repentance, Brother Kaufman, made a difference in your life? How has the experience of being baptized in a name that's above every name, how has that colored your existence and your life? Hallelujah, moving forward, and it's also painted a picture of your past. How has the Holy Ghost that has been poured out upon all flesh when you received it, how has that made an impact in your life? Anyone thankful for God's spirit that we have felt in the house of God today? Oh, we need to thank him and praise him. Hallelujah for the anointing of God that we feel in this place today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. These things, these things make a huge impact and difference in our life. And so in the lives of the children of Israel, the temple had a, a very much a significance. 
In Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 7, Moses took the tabernacle and he pitched it without the camp. So initially, it wasn't a temple. It was a tabernacle. It was a temporary place of meeting. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 7, he called it the tabernacle of the congregation. This was not the tabernacle that he called upon the people to contribute to. This was something that was temporary. And everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. So this was something that was on the outside of the camp. It wasn't central to the camp. This is going to change when God gives him the instructions about the tabernacle because the tabernacle is going to be in the center and everybody else is going to be around the tabernacle. It's going to be a central component of their everyday life. But in this first beginning stages of development, this tent of the congregation, this tabernacle of the congregation was on the outside of the camp. Moses, when he would go unto that tabernacle and the people would stand and they would watch Moses make his way to the tabernacle and they would stand at their tent door and they would look after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And the scripture tells us that a pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. This was God speaking to Moses face to face, speaking to him as unto a friend. The Bible also tells us a great example in leadership, that when this was taking place, there was another man by the name of Joshua that was an understudy to Moses. And when this would happen... A young man by the name of Joshua, the son of Nun, he departed not out of the tabernacle because he recognized the value of God talking to Moses face to face. Very interesting. Moses goes to the tabernacle and everybody watches him from their tent flap or door and they see this cloud descending and God talking to Moses and young men recognizing the value of that. I hope that when people come into contact with us that they feel that there is an anointing that is directly connected to the fact that we have been talking to the Lord and that there is a presence and that there is an anointing that is associated with that. Praise God. That's an intentional thing. I've been using that word often. An intentional thing is something that you engage in. It's an intentional thing. Moses would go to this temporary tent that was then later replaced by the tabernacle. This tent was placed on the outside, but God gives to Moses some instructions. And Moses comes down from the mount, and he has a template that God has given him. And this tent was going to be constructed in a manner that would be divided into two rooms, divided by a veil of blue, scarlet, and purple linen that was embroidered with cherubim. So this room had two sections, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, and it was, there was a, a barrier. There was a veil that went in between those two areas. In this inner room, we must, when we're talking about the tabernacle, 
We must talk about the things that were in the tabernacle because they were very much associated with the tabernacle. There was the Holy of Holies, which was one of the inner rooms of the two, and it housed the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant uh, was a chest made of acacia wood, and it was covered with gold. It had uh, poles that would be inserted into ringlets so it could be moved. And then it had a mercy seat that was the lid. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the stone tablets or the Ten Commandments. There was a gold pot filled with manna and there was Aaron's rod that budded. These things went into the Ark of the Covenant because they represented God leading his people out of Egyptian bondage, directing them, guiding them, providing for them in the midst of their travelings in the wilderness. And so there was an interroom called the Holy of Holies. There was a, another room called the Holy Place. And in this particular room, there was the altar of incense or the golden altar. There was the seven-branched golden lampstand or candlestick. And there was the table of showbread. And so these implements were in this area that was known as the holy place. So Moses takes all of these instructions. Around this, this tabernacle was a courtyard, and in the courtyard was the altar of burnt offering. People would bring their burnt offering outside of the tent, and there was a laver or a great bronze altar. They would provide, and all of this means something, okay? I'm mentioning all of these things, but you could do an entire message talking about the types and shadows of each and every one of these implements that were in this central structure. For example, people would bring the altar of burnt offering and they would bring goats, bulls, uh, birds, turtle doves. They would bring them and they were bringing them for a sacrifice. It was part of the sacrificial system. Why? Because nothing, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they tried to put together some kind of plant-like coats and what have you. That's not enough. God said there has to be a shedding of blood. And, and so this was part of the sacrificial system. So when they brought their offerings to this altar, there was a death. The death is connected to the blood. The blood's connected to covering the sin. This is one of the reasons why this morning there was much that was said about baptism in Jesus' name because where is the blood applied to a life that needs salvation? It's not in just it's saying something. There has to be a death. Well, what death are we connected to? We're connected to the death of Jesus Christ. And then what is going to wash and cleanse? It's the blood that he shed. We don't have it in a vial somewhere. But when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're going down in the name that's above every name. This is where the blood is applied to the doorpost, like in Egypt, when the death angel passed by. And if you didn't have the blood applied, then there was a loss of life, loss of the firstborn. This is why it's important. Why do you people always talk about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name? Because it's it's essential. The blood has to be applied. 
And so there's a type right there in that outer court when people would come. That altar represented a death. You were bringing something that was going to die. That blood was going to be poured out. Then that's a type of repentance because repentance is a death. It means dying out to some things. Our problem with many folks today is they don't want to repent. They want to keep going the same direction. Ladies and gentlemen, God's calling you out of where you are out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's pulling you out of the dysfunction and life that you're in. Even if you've, you can find the most successful person in the world and there's a whole nother set of circumstances that they face that somebody that's at skid row faces. The problem is still a sin condition. It's still a human condition. It's still a salvation condition. We all need God's power and his anointing and his ability. And so that, that altar there represented a death. Then the priests, before they would enter into the holy place, they would walk up to the golden laver, which was a laver that was there. It was a bronze altar that was there. And they gathered. They gathered. It, was, it had mirror-like qualities to it. And they would come up to that because... The burnt offering is a bloody place, and so they would wash and cleanse in the brazen laver. There is your repentance is a death into a, a cleansing, which is baptism in Jesus' name. So all these pieces that went into this tabernacle were very, very important. And not only did it become a tent now, this temporary thing on the outside of the camp, it became central to everything. It was placed in the center of Israel's life geographically and graphically they pitched that tabernacle in the center and then they positioned all of the people around it they would camp around it they were arranged in specific order by their groups or their tribes the 12 tribes of Israel they they had specific places and there were responsibilities. It was something that could be picked up, and it was something that could be moved. That same pillar of fire that met Moses at the temporary place, and Moses talked with God face to face, became the pillar of fire that operated in the center of the children of Israel's existence that hovered over the tabernacle. And when it would move, the children of Israel would move with it. There, 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 is, <laughs> there is so many. You, you can't you can't get when the pillar starts moving and the presence of God starts moving there, there was nobody saying well I think we got another couple days here no when that when that pillar starts to move everybody starts working putting together stuff putting up stuff there was order and structure where are you going we're moving because the pillar's moving which means God's moving and I'm not going to be left here behind I'm going to be sensitive to what is happening. And the same thing needs to take place in a modern 21st century church. When the Holy Ghost starts to move, we need to move with it. Praise God. It doesn't, 
we, we've got structure to church, but if God wants to spontaneously break out as he broke out here today and fill somebody with the Holy Ghost, who among us would stand here and say we can't do that? That's not the way it should be. We got some kind of order. The order we're operating on is the presence of God that moves in this building whenever and however he wants to. Praise God. Anybody thankful for the presence of God? If you are, why don't you clap your hands and thank God for his anointing, his ability. So there, this is one of the reasons why reading the Old Testament, if you read it from this perspective, is very fascinating because everything is a type and shadow of what God is doing in the New Testament. So there were responsibilities to care and move this tabernacle. Uh... The first day of tabernacle worship is described in Numbers chapter 7 through 9, and the guiding pillar of fire rests upon it where the people are camped. We just mentioned that. As a matter of fact, when the tribes were camped, two silver trumpets were used to summon the tribes to gather at the tabernacle. So they were gathered around doing whatever they were doing, but when the trumpets sounded, they would make their way to the tabernacle. This would be the place that the 70 elders... You remember, you may not, Moses at one particular time in his leadership got so uh, burdened down with trying to take care of so much stuff, his father-in-law told him, you need to figure out a better way of organization and break this down and, and appoint some elders. And so he did. He appointed 70 elders. This would be where people would bring their problems and the 70 elders would advise and counsel the people. This was a place of judgment. It was a place of appointments. It was the place of centrality of the children of Israel. So this, this became so very much ingrained into everything that they uh, would do. And as the years passed, certain structures uh, started to be added. At some point, once they moved into the promised land, it'd be, it, it had more of a, not a temporary basis, but more of a final resting place. And there was a development that moved then from the tent on the outside of the camp to the tabernacle that was the central part of all of their life to the desire to build a temple, something that was more permanent. Not something that, that moved around, but something that was permanent. And this is where Solomon's temple came into play. David so wanted to build it, but God told him, you're a man of war. It will not be. He gathered all the materials. He got everything ready for it, but Solomon was the one that built the temple. Once the land was fully conquered, the tribes were properly settled. It was important that the worship of God was centralized, and so the temple became a central part of everything the children of Israel would do, and it's still in history, it's still very much a central part in just about every geopolitical discussion that you can have in the world. The highest part of Mount Moriah is now the site of the building called the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. And there's still a lot of skirmishes and speculation and divisions that are centered around all of that. And so we see a development from a tent, a temporary place, to a tabernacle, a central place, to a permanent structure. Solomon built a temple that was amazing, and it became something that was amazing. 
and fascinating, and he put a lot of time and effort and a lot of money went into it. It became a central place of identity. It was an identity, but the problem was, and this is what we've read in this passage of scripture, is the people became disassociated from the temple and their actually daily life. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, just a few verses prior to what we read in our text, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah that enter into these gates to worship the Lord. So God is, is telling Jeremiah, I want you to stand. I want you to stand out there at the gates <laughs> and everybody that comes in. I want you to proclaim to them this word as they enter in. Um, the God of Israel is saying this. Verse number three, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust you not in lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Almost like a mantra that they were projecting. It became so ingrained into their identity that they became associated. They thought that the anointing of God became associated with a building or with the structure. It's a part of everything that we do. It's a part of our history. Everything is centered around it. This is the temple. It's a magnificent thing. It's a magnificent edifice. It has history. Solomon built this. It goes all the way back to the forefounding of our forefathers. And so therefore the temple is what anchors us and the temple is what makes us and the temple is what identifies us. And this is why they were saying these words over and over and over. Jeremiah is standing in the door and he's basically saying this, if you allow me to say it in this way, he's basically saying you've gotten so accustomed to the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord being your identity, but you're not in any way, shape or form connected to the God of this temple. You're only connected to the building and to the structure, but everything else in your life is awry. You, you, you're doing all of these things that are in injustice and you're coming in and you're, you're confident that we've got all these blessings in this building, but the blessings of God is not going to be on it if you don't get your relationship right with the God that actually built the building. So much <laughs> that the Lord said, you're like a band of robbers going out and committing atrocity and then running back to your hideout or to your caves except for the cave you're running into is the temple of the Lord. Nothing can happen to us because we have the temple of the Lord. They felt entitled because of God's blessing. We, we better never get to the place where we, we're so caught up in the blessings of God that we don't have a relationship with the God that gives the blessings. We'll get a sense of entitlement that will destroy us. We will think we're deserving of it because God has blessed us and we can be so far removed from what God is wanting to do with us. Hallelujah. I want to make sure that I'm sensitive to the kingdom of God and the work of God and the revival of God that takes place. I'm thankful for this building. But a building's not going to bring revival. It's going to take somebody with a walk with God that testifies to somebody about God's goodness and his greatness. 
It's going to take a moving of the Holy Ghost that takes place in this building. The biggest slap in the face to God was to hide out like a bunch of robbers in the temple. This is Jeremiah's writing. This is the Old Testament. They so, so were ingrained with the notion of the temple. That's Solomon's temple. Then they were carried into back captivity. Jeremiah prophesied, if, if you don't get things right, God's going to bring judgment. And, and this is so cyclical. We, we can get blessed of God to the point that we forget where God brought us. Man, I'm telling you what, one of the greatest challenges in discipling people is God will pull them out of a mess. Can anybody testify to what I'm talking about? It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It's an absolute mess. And sometimes you've got to go back and you've got to pay a lot of consequences because of the mess that you've made. And that's okay. As a matter of fact, that's a good thing. We, we, we've, we've brought children into our home. <laughs> we, we, we've suffered a lot of disappointments and heartaches and a lot of stuff when somebody was coming to God. Then they had to go spend two and a half weeks in jail somewhere. What are we going to do with the kids? And so we pulled them in, tried to work with them, tried to do all of that, tried to do our very best. I think we should try to do our very best. I believe that God will bless, even, even if it doesn't work out, God's going to bless the, the idea and the notion that I'm willing to do it. And it may not work out here, but God's going to say, you watch, there's more coming over here. I just wanted to test you. Abraham, I wanted to see if you'd go up to the mount and sacrifice Isaac because I, I can't make you a father of many nations if I don't know what you're made of. But when I can see what you're made of, then there's blessing that's coming over here. There may be a disappointment here, but not over here because so God picks us out of a mess and then he starts, he starts working in our lives. At some point, there is a, there's a dangerous place when the blessings of God gets me back to the place where I'm not in need. God's blessed me. Now I've got independence, and I've got the ability to do what I need to do, and that's dangerous right there. Very, very dangerous right there. God's got to do a lot to pull us out sometimes. And then when we get to the place of blessing and, and, and we're blessed, pretty soon if we're not careful, we think we're deserving of that, and our walk with God, the edge comes off. And instead of being razor sharp and on fire for God, all of a sudden we start moving away from the core of what God's wanting to do in our life. If you can make it through it, if you can make it through it, you're going to be all right and God's going to use you. But there's a moment right there where the enemy is going to come in and say, you've got all the means and the capacity and the ability and the money to check out when you want. And it's at that moment in that time of blessing where God brought me all the way here that I've got to make a decision for myself. And it's not based on anybody else because I, I've, I've, I've got to determine where am I going from here. And the blessings of God many times can lead us to instead of going forward, we end up going 
And this is where the children of Israel found themselves. The blessings of God provided all of these things. Jeremiah's prophesying. He's saying the temple is not going to save you. You know what? I wondered. It'd be very fascinating. If we couldn't have church here, where would we have church? It's very possible. We live in a pretty crazy world that's changing rapidly. If somebody came and padlocked the gates and said, you won't be having church, we're taking over this place. Would we still have a church? Would we still have a fire and a capacity to serve God? So the children of Israel have become so ingrained with the property, the identity, the structures, the buildings, that they didn't think anything was going to harm them. And they were carried off into Babylonian captivity. And, and the walls were torn down. The temple was torn down. There was a diaspora. All of these Hebrews ended up spread around the world instead of being in a core position and a core place. Some went back. Zerubbabel went back. There were others that went back, rebuilt the walls. Nehemiah went back, built the walls, rebuilt the walls. And then during the time of Herod, Herod, in 19 B.C., he finished the temple. The entire structure was not completed until A.D. 64. And it was quite an edifice, Herod's temple, which was built on the same ground as Solomon's temple. <clears throat> and yet it seems like in that development that God is always moving He's moving. And so God is present and he's active in not just the building, but he's active in people. And the cloud is moving. And so he's, he's reorienting everything. When Jesus Christ comes, he starts reorienting everything. The land, it's not about the land, it's about the world. The temple, it's not about the temple any, anymore. It's about something that is greater. The scripture it's not about the law anymore. It's about the fulfillment of the law. He's reorienting everything. This is one of the reasons why in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 18, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? Jesus said, Can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? The bridegroom is with them. God is doing it greater thing. God is reorienting things. And the celebration is on. God's rebuilding the temple. And it's happening in him. It's not a physical temple, but he is rebuilding something. This is one of the reasons why it's very fascinating when Jesus cleanses the temple. If we're not careful, many times we think he's cleansing the temple because of the financial things that are taking place in the temple. The buying and selling. This is why he says, my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you've made it into what? A den of thieves, which sounds a lot like you made it into a den of robbers. You're mismanaging the house. But if we're not careful, we miss the fact that it was not only a house. It was what Jesus was doing because he told them, you destroy this body and in three days I'll raise it up. He was talking about the temple of himself. The temple had become a central meeting place for the plotting and overthrow of Rome, just like Babylon overthrew. Rome was now a figure. And Jesus was saying, you've put so much confidence in this temple 
Rome is going to crush you. But I'm not coming for this temple. I'm coming for a church. I'm not coming here to rebuild and build something. I'm coming for a people that is going to comprise a church body. This is who we are. This is one of the reasons why in John chapter 2, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake about the temple of his body. He was talking about what he was doing in the church. He was saying to them, you are a bunch of robbers and a bunch of thieves, and you run into here, and you hide out in a cave, which is the temple. But there is one that's standing among you that is greater than this building. As a matter of fact, he is the God of this building, and he is coming to institute a church that is going to make herself ready, that's going to worship me in spirit and in truth, that's going to have a connection with me, not a building somewhere else, but it's going to have a walk with me. This is what Jesus came to do. Praise God. In conclusion here this morning, help us not to become a modern-day den of thieves. Jesus gave his life for the church. I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, and the church is subject unto him. Praise God. But we are not to get so enamored with the notion that the sanctuary is what saves me. Coming to church saves me. Making an appearance saves me. What saves me? A walk with God as the musicians come this morning. The church has become the vision of Jesus to the world in every corner of the world. His presence reigns. It's not in a building. I'm thankful to feel his presence in this building, but I'll tell you, I felt the presence of God in my vehicle driving down the road. I felt the Holy Ghost running with a dog in the almond orchards. The presence of God is not contained in a building. The presence of God is all over this city. And I'm hoping somehow it's reaching somebody and drawing somebody. The faithfulness of God, the atonement for sin, the worship that can be found is not only something that takes place in this building. something that is greater than that. We cannot mismanage the house of God. What was profound is not only is it going to be a temple that's central, but God said, I'm going to reorient that into what? To every single one of you being a temple. There is no central place of worship and a temple. For God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Know you not that you, everyone say you, everyone say me, are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You are a temple of God. Where are you going to make a pilgrimage? It's kind of cool to go to Israel and go into that area and make a pilgrimage there. But you are the temple of God. Everywhere you go, you are the temple of God. And the presence of God should dwell within you. Don't mismanage the temple of God. Don't.
don't hide out in the temple like a den of thieves, keeping off the blessings of God, but never making any changes that you know God wants to require of you. First Peter chapter four, verse 17, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? I have an opportunity to be the temple of God. I appreciate so much four walls. I've been in places where you had church in Peru and the cats are running through and there are holes in the wall. And you can see eyeballs looking at you. Not much of a building, but all oh, the same presence and anointing of God that was there. <laughs> I've been in the Philippines in Sunday school in situations, dire, dire circumstances that, 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 we, that would completely shock us and yet still feel the anointing and power of God because the presence of God is something that is not contained in a building. As we stand together in the house of God, it's contained within us. And when people get together and they start worshiping God and they gather together and lift up the name of the Lord, something happens. Something happens. Jeremiah said, your problem is you're acting out. You're living in sin. You're doing abominations. You're worshiping idols. You're doing all these things, and you're running back into the temple as if the building is going to save you. In the house of God today, it's not a building that saves us, but it's the God of the building that will save us. In the few moments this morning, I want us to lift our hands and thank God and ask God to help us manage the temple of God. Not to become a den of robbers, not to become a den of thieves, but God, I want you to permeate everything that I am. This house, this building, this temple, Lord. I want you to be in it. It's a holy temple. I want holiness to dwell in there. Praise God. Praise God. As they begin to sing tonight, Let's take a few moments in this place to absorb his ability and his anointing. Lord, it's not four walls, it's not a structure. As a matter of fact, today, even in this service, there may be something that's listening far beyond this place, but can still feel the anointing and presence of God in this house. Praise God. God, thank you. I praise you. Help us to be what we need to be. In this temple, in this house, God has chosen you. God has reached out and responded to you and has given you the opportunity to be a living temple. Praise God, praise God. Oh, that's it, somebody. Raise your hands and say, God, I want you to I want you to tabernacle and temple in my life. I want the Holy Ghost and the fruit of the Spirit to come forth out of my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be here in the house of God. This may be your first service. God wants to. God wants to dwell in your heart and your life. to make the temple out of you.
prayer requests projected here this morning. Amen. We're going to pray that God would direct us and touch every one of these names. Some of these names represent people, represent families, and a variety of situations. If you have a need in your body, if you want to approach God and pray and see God for a few moments, the ministry is here this morning. We're going to pray together. We're going to ask that God would touch in his anointing.